0: Good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you have a Bible, would you go to Psalm 90? Psalm 90, that's going to be our passage this morning. If you're visiting with us, if you're new with with us this morning, uh, this summer we're doing a series through the Psalms and looking at a variety of different uh, songs that God has given us uh, that really speak to uh, the practical areas of life and uh, seeing life as it really is. And so this morning I want to draw our attention to Psalm 90. If you're able to stand, I'm going to ask you to do so. As we honor the reading of God's Word, faith family, I am convinced that these are the very words of God. I'm convinced that God breathed these words out with His very authority, and here's what He has to say to us this morning. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it's renewed and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason the strength of eighty, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power, to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's Word. Pray with me. Father, I need You. Every hour I need You, but particularly in this one. Oh, Spirit, that You would come and use these words to give us clarity about life. Thank you, O God, that you have brought us here to this place. Now speak to us. What do you have to say to us? That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Asher Lev. That's actually the title of the book. Uh, The book was actually turned into a, a play. And it's about a Jewish boy by the name of Asher who grew up in Brooklyn. And he grew up to very traditional Jewish parents. Now, Asher loved to paint. He loved to draw. And what his parents discovered very early on in Asher's life was that he was an incredible talent. He was extremely gifted with painting. There was just one problem. He always painted pictures of pain and suffering. And his parents tried to encourage him to paint something else. You know, paint something nice like a sunset or children playing or pretty flowers. But Asher never could. So finally, one day, Asher's parents confronted him as to why he always painted pictures that were a little on the darker side. And Asher said this, quote, because I paint the world as it is. I paint the world as it is is. You see, Asher wasn't trying to be pessimistic. He wasn't trying to be a Debbie Downer or an Eeyore. He wasn't trying to be dark. He was simply trying to be honest about life in a fallen world, a life that is broken. But Asher's parents couldn't accept that. In fact, a, a distance began to develop between Asher's parents and him. Because they simply could not accept a portrait of the world that wasn't painted in pretty pictures. Faith family, I need you to hear me this morning. There are times when even though it isn't popular, and even though it isn't what you want to hear, and maybe it's not what you want to see, There are times when we need someone to paint a portrait of life for how it really is. We need somebody to level with us, to be straight with us, and to be honest. We need the doctor to tell us the honest truth about our health. We need the teacher to be honest about our academic progress. We need the coach to be honest about our role on the team. We need the pastor to be honest about what the Bible says. We need the politician to get off the talking points and tell us what the facts really are. We need the supervisor to be honest about our job performance. Anybody here this morning like me that there just comes a point when you're tired of the politically correct, you're tired of the fluff, And you just want somebody, for once, to tell you how it really is. To be honest about how, even if it's a picture you don't necessarily want to see, even if it's a message you don't necessarily want to hear, we need reality. Well, that is exactly what Psalm 90 does. Psalm 90, just like Asher, paints a portrait for us of life, not necessarily how we want life to be, but listen, how life really is. And the question is, will you and I have the maturity to receive it? Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses, making it likely the oldest psalm. It's the only psalm we have that Moses uh, wrote. Uh, Moses, the inscription says, is a man of God. He lived 120 years. He has seen life's ups and downs. And he's about to describe the world as it really is. And right here, faith family, he has no intention, nor do I, of powdering your spiritual backside. He's going to tell you how life is. In this text, I need us to have an honest conversation. You may even notice a little bit of a difference in me this morning. Um, It's almost as though I want to pull up the rocking chair with Moses and just say, Tell us about life. Sing us a song, give us a song on our mixtape that puts our life in proper perspective. And so here's what you're gonna get if you like to take notes. I'm gonna give you two realities that you're gonna have to face. All right, are we gonna be honest this morning? Are you with me? Say say amen or yes or hallelujah or something, right? Um, we're gonna be honest, even if it's not what we want to hear. And we're going to be forced to face two realities and then there will be two responses that we must do in light of those realities. That's pretty simple, right? Two realities and two responses in light of those realities. Here's number one. Reality number one, life as it actually is, as Moses describes in Psalm 90, is this. Your life is comparatively brief. Your life is comparatively brief. Notice how he starts the psalm. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses starts the psalm with the eternality of God. That before the mountains were ever created, before they were ever put in place, God was Before all of creation was ever formed and created, God was. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal. Now why would Moses start that way? Moses has a little bit of of an insight, doesn't he? Because do you remember when God called Moses to uh, lead the people out of Egypt and to go and to face Pharaoh head on, and Moses looked at Yahweh and he said, but who will I tell them sent me? And Yahweh says this, if you know it, you can say it with me. He says, tell them, I am that I am sent you. In other words, the God of everlasting to everlasting, the I am, not the I was or the I will be, but I am that I am. God is forever. R.C. Sproul takes us into the deep end of the theological pool when he writes, quote, God alone is self-existent. God is the only one who can say, I am who I am. You see, the grand difference between a human being you and the supreme being God is this. Apart from God, I cannot exist. Apart from me, God does exist. God does not need me in order for him to be, but I do need God in order for me to be This is the difference between what is called a self-existent being and a dependent being. Namely, he has always been. He has no beginning and no end. He is independent, self-sufficient, and secure. He is who he is. I am who I am. He alone is eternal. Now, that's not even Moses' main point. That was just for free. That was just for fun. That was just for a hallelujah. God is awesome. But Moses is trying to set you up. He's trying to get your mind wrapped around the reality of who God is. The eternality of God so that he can then pull the rug out from under you. Verse 3. You return man to dust. And say, Return, O children of man. Do do you see what he's doing here? This is what, this is Moses' point. He's saying this God is from everlasting to everlasting. God is the I am. God has been and always will be. But you, you return to dust. Your life is comparatively brief compared to what? Compared to God. Moses is trying to get you to have a proper perspective of your life life portrayed as it really is it's like the college student that wrote this letter to his parents as he was away on college at college he said quote mom and dad I haven't written in a while and I wanted to update you on a few things in my life a few weeks ago the dormitory at school caught on fire and I lost most of my possessions in fact to escape the fire I had to jump from the window and I broke my leg At the hospital I met a wonderful nurse and we fell in love. Oh, by the way, we just got married. I promise to send pictures as soon as I can, but please don't be put off by the metal studs in her forehead. Anyway, to support my new wife and her eight children, I dropped out of college. In fact, things have become so tight and hard to make ends meet that I attempted to rob a local store where I was caught and sentenced to time in prison. The good news is the authorities say, I will not serve the entire time now that I'm terminally ill. And then at the end of the letter, it said, turn over. And the parents, in a panic attack, turn the letter over and they read this, mom and dad, everything that I've written is false. The truth is, two weeks ago, I failed my final exams. I just wanted you to keep things in perspective. (laughs) Now that's just wrong, right? College students, don't do that, okay? Now what's happening in that that example? That college student is trying to say, in light of all these things, this will put things in proper perspective. That's exactly what Moses is doing. Only Moses is using the reality of who God is, and in light of who God is, what is your life? It is comparatively brief. He continues the main point with a series of analogies, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. He uses here the idea of a thousand years. Now, I think Moses is likely referring to the oldest man who ever lived, and I'm not referring to Pastor Roger, all right? (laughs) That was low. That was so low. I hope he's in here, all right? He's (laughs) referring... There he is. Yes! It's only good when they're in the room, all right? (laughs) I will pay for that later. (laughs) He's referring to who? Methuselah. 969 years. Moses is probably rounding up to say this. If you take the longest lifespan of any human being, it's nothing in light of who God is. A thousand years? That's like a day. That's like a watch in the night. It is comparatively brief. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. Here's the imagery. Look at this house here. It's standing in a moment and then the floods come. And in just a matter of seconds, it is completely gone. It is entirely swept away the next analogy is this. They are like a dream. How many of you have like been, you've had a dream, and you were totally involved, emotionally involved, and all of a sudden what happened? You woke up. And just like that, it was over. The next analogy, he says, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. This was particularly true in the ancient Near East, where the dew of the morning would cause the grass to spring forth. But what would happen in just a matter of time, the heat of the day would begin to dry it up and cause it to wither away. James's analogy in James 4 verse 14 says this, You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes. You're like, I'm so glad I came to church today. (laughs) I told you we were going to be real. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm being realistic. This is life portrayed as it really is. And the truth is, dear friends, you know this to be true. You and I, every one of us here today, we are eyewitnesses to the brevity of life all the time. You don't believe me? Go to a class reunion. I don't even say anything else, because if you've ever been to a class reunion, you know exactly what you thought. Like, wow, where did the time go? How many of you parents have ever watched your children grow and you've made this statement, or somebody has made it to you? They grow up so fast. I was laying in bed with my son just a couple of uh, weeks ago. He just turned uh, 10. And it hit me in that moment that he's over halfway out. Some of you are like, don't worry, he'll be back. Don't tell me that, okay? No, I don't want to hear that. I don't want a boomerang child, all right? Uh, But it hit me in that moment like, where did the 10 years go? I mean, it went by saying, like, any parents, grandparents ever had that feeling? Or, or after graduation, you're thinking, man, now they're gone. Like, where did it go? Have you ever experienced a Minnesota summer? It's the shortest month of the year, right? I mean, it's, it's like here and then gone. We see the brevity of life all The time. We're not being dark. We're not being pessimistic. We're just acknowledging how life really is. Come it slow or come it fast, it is but death that comes at last. Your life is comparatively brief, and that is a reality that you must face. Now, why is life comparatively brief? Moses gives us a little bit of a hint as to why that is. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust. Now, where does that language come from? That language comes from Genesis. Remember, Adam and Eve fall. The consequence for sin was death. They would return to the dust. For the wages of sin is death. Death, which leads us to reality number two. Not only is your life comparatively brief, but listen, you may not want to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyways, your sin is extremely serious. Your sin is extremely serious. In fact, notice how Moses turns here from not just general sin, that is you return to dust, but he gets personal with him and the nation of Israel. Look at verse 7. Now in these next few moments, you've got to promise me, can, can I be honest? Do you love me? Even if I'm honest, even if I say, thus saith the Lord, will we be mature enough to handle it? Look at what Moses says and let's be honest. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins and the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh, verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Here's what Moses is testifying. He is saying, listen, I can speak to the fact that God is everlasting to everlasting because I have seen, He is, I am. And I can also speak to the fact that sin is very serious and the consequences are death. Do you know why? Because I've been a first hand eyewitness to see where rebellion gets you. God called Israel out of Egypt and promised them the promised land. They sent out spies into the land, but majority said, we don't think we can take it. We don't think God will give it to us. And so they wander around in the wilderness for how many years? Forty years. And what happens as a result of their disobedience? Moses, along with 1.2 million Israelites, die in the wilderness so Moses has seen people drop like flies he knows this right here your sin my sin is a serious problem I'm not going to powder your backside. Your sin is a problem. Your life is brief. The reality is, just like Moses and the people of Israel, we too have fallen short of the glory of God and deserve the wrath of God. Hear me, faith family. I deserve the wrath of God. Whether I want to hear that or not. That's what sin demands Because the Bible, did did I say we could be real? We're going to be real. We're going to be honest. We're going to say it like it is. The Bible does not hide the reality of God's righteous wrath towards sin. Jeremiah 30 verse 23 Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. You said that's Old Testament. God's in a bad mood in the Old Testament. We're, we're all about the New Testament, right? God of love. You want some New Testament? I'll give you some New Testament. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's some more New Testament, Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Hebrews 10.31 It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Revelation 19.15 From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And He will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Your sin is a serious problem. You say why? Well, I, I just can 't believe in a God like that. Maybe some of you are here, maybe this is their first time. What a Sunday to be your first time here. <laughs> Welcome, right? You say, I just can't worship a God like this. I don't want to believe in a God like this. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you say that, here's what it means. You either have a really low view of God or a really low view of sin. And probably both. Because when you understand who sin is, or who God is, and you understand what sin is, you cannot help but understand that this righteous anger is perfectly justified. Because the Bible says this about God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is sovereign over all things. He is righteous in all that He does. He is pure in every way. He is king over all. He is majestic in all. He is without equal. And do you know what the angels sing every day over and over and over and over again? Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's who God is. He is holiness. Sin, on the other hand, is not a mistake. It's not a momentary lapse in judgment. The Bible uses this kind of language to describe sin. It is lawlessness, unfaithfulness, missing the mark, wandering from the path, straying from the fold, a hard heart, a stiff neck, blindness, deafness, deadness, stepping over the line and a failure to reach it. It is, in one word, rebellion against that holy God. The only way you're going to understand the wrath of God in its proper context is to have a high view of God and an honest view of sin. Because the reality is, dear friends, the measure of sin is determined by the magnitude of the one sinned against. Can I say that again? I want to get this in your brain, right? Sin is measured by the magnitude of of the one sinned against. I'll illustrate it this way. This is a true story, by the way, of an Arab Christian living in an Arab country who was witnessing to an Arab uh, uh, cab driver. And they were having this conversation about sin, and the cab driver simply could not come to the agreement that he was really that bad, that sin was really that bad. And so um, here's what the Christian said what if I punched you in the face? Now, that's a conversation starter. You might not want to use that in your witnessing, all right, but (laughs) it's what happened, true story. He said, what would happen if I punched you in the face? And the cab driver said, I'd kick you out of my cab. And the guy said, well, what if I went down the street and punched another guy in the face? He said, well, he'd probably punch you back. Okay, well, what if I went over to this police officer and I punched them in the face? And then the cab driver started to laugh and said, well... They would throw you in prison. And remember, Arab country, he said, what if I punched the king in the face? And the cab driver really laughed and he said, why? He'd kill you. To which the Christian responded, so what you're telling me is, quote, the consequences of my sin are directly related to the person to whom I've offended. Sinning against an infinite God is worthy of infinite judgment. And the reality that you are going to have to face today is this. Your life is really brief and your sin is really serious. Let's pray. I know, I'm kidding. That would be a terrible ending. (laughs) Can you imagine if we just kind of stopped right there, and you're like, we'll go home and kick the dog, or? (laughs) Moses has more to say. But now, in that moment of laughter, I don't want you to lose the seriousness that your life is brief and your sin is serious, but there are two things, please, please, two things that you need to do today in light of those realities. That is life, how it is, whether you want to accept it or not, and here's what you must do. Because life is brief, you need to wise up with how you're living, Come on, preacher. Because life is brief, you need to wise up with how you're living. Look at what Moses says in verse 12. The word so. So in light of what we just said, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. That verse is not, tell me how many days I have left to live so I can plan out my calendar. It's this, faith family, please look here for just a moment. In light of the fact that you only have so much time and you don't even know how much time you have, what are you going to live for? Are you going to waste this thing? You got one shot, baby. You got one shot. You got one life and you don't know when it's going to be over. And you're going to get to the end? And have a life that was not lived by wisdom, and not lived for the things that mattered most, and not lived for God? What a tragedy that will be. Moses is saying, when you see the reality that your life is short, you got to wake up to what you're living for. You've got to start thinking about what your legacy is going to be. You've got to start thinking about how you're going to use your resources. You've got to think about the purpose of your life. Because you only have one. And it will soon pass. And only what's done for Christ will last. In light of the reality that life is brief, the response is that I'm going to wake up to how I'm living And I told you this morning it was a little bit different just even in tone. I I don't have a lot of time to do this, but I want to just stop and say, have you thought about where you're going? Teenagers, I mean, you're sitting here thinking, ah, i got plenty of time. You don't know. And I tell you, there are adults in this room that would look back and say, I wasted my teenage years. Oh, if I could just go back, I wasted it. Oh, it was not marked by wisdom. Today is your reality check. Today is your wake up call. Number your days. You're 80. Okay, so you got one year left, five years left, ten years left. I don't know. How will you spend them? Man wake up to the brevity of life and commit to a life of wisdom. Number your days. So in light of the fact that life is brief, Moses says, teach us to number our days. In light of the fact that sin is serious, here's the second response. And I'm plead with you with all my heart today. Because sin is serious, seek the mercy of God. This is not a game. Look at how Moses responds in verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long have pity or have mercy on your servants. He goes on in verse 14 to say, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Here's, I make a motion for 30 more minutes. I need it. Here's the beauty. Man, I need you to listen to this. I need you to hear this. Do you know what life has taught Moses? In the face of God's wrath, you don't run from Him. You run to Him. Which almost sounds weird that you would run to the very one who has righteous wrath. But why would you run there? Because what's also there is arms of mercy. Notice in verse 1 how the psalm starts. Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. In other words, a man who never had a permanent mailing address. He went from a basket to Egypt to Midian to 40 years wandering around. But he's known this. The one constant in my life has been the mercy of God. That I can go to God and he will be my home. And if home is where the heart is, then my heart is with God. You see, here's the beauty of the gospel is this. God has righteous anger towards your sin, but if you will turn and find Him as your dwelling place, He will give you mercy instead of wrath. You say, how do you know that? Prove that. I'll prove that. Listen to what the Bible says of how God displayed the righteous anger of Psalm 90." Look on the screen at first John four verse ten in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, big word propitiation for our sins. that word propitiation simply means sacrifice or substitute for us listen to Romans chapter 3 verse 25 whom God that is Christ put forth as a propitiation as a sacrifice as a substitute by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we might be just and he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus in other words What is the beauty of the gospel? What is the good news of the gospel? Come on, faith family. This is a hallelujah moment. The beauty of the gospel is that God poured out his wrath on his son so he doesn't have to pour out his wrath on you. Christ. Christ is our propitiation. Christ is our sacrifice. Christ is our substitute in the place of God's wrath so that He can be our dwelling place of mercy. That's the good news of the Gospel. But you're not going to experience the good news of the Gospel until you're honest about your sin and run to God for mercy. So you wake up to the reality of who you are and what you've done and only Jesus is the solution to that problem. And Jesus, the very idea of drinking the cup of God's wrath, all He's ever known for all eternity is the love of the Father in perfect unity with the Father. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane when He says, I will drink this cup, it hits Him that He will experience the full Unheld back wrath of his father, and it is so intense, it is so overwhelming that he begins to sweat blood. And yet he says, Not my will, but yours. And he drinks every last drop of wrath, so you could have every last drop of love. Is there a message anywhere in the world more glorious than that? It means this, faith family. You have one simple choice in your life. And you had better face the reality of that this morning. Your life will either be found in Christ and He will take the wrath for you or you can stand alone on judgment day. Listen to what John 3, verse 36 says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But what? But the wrath of God remains on him. It's, it's pretty simple, at least in terms of, of understanding. It's this. Either Jesus took the wrath for you, or you will take the wrath for you. And so in light of the reality of how serious your sin is, let your response be like Moses. Have mercy on me, O God. May you be my dwelling place of mercy. Rescind your anger. Restore my joy by your love and place your favor on me. It's interesting. I'll close with this. In case you wonder if I'm applying this correctly, the Apostle Peter applies in 2 Peter chapter 3, Psalm 90. Listen to this and we're done. Listen to what Peter says. Here's the, the two applications. 2 Peter 3, verse 8 says this, Do not overlook this one fact. What's he talking about? Reality. Beloved, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years. Where have we heard that before? I don't know. Psalm 90? And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. Hear this. But is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. In other words, one application is this. Receive today the mercy of God by repenting of your sin. God has been patient with you. And then here's the second reality. Verse 11, he says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, life is brief. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Teach us to number our days. Faith family, listen to me. I understand that there are times when we need to hear the very thing we don't want to hear. And that, this morning, has been exactly what Psalm 90 has done for us. It has been a clear message that life is short, so wise up and number your days. Sin is serious, so seek the mercy of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today, and like Asher's parents, that's a portrait of life that you don't want to accept. But let me assure you of this. It is life the way it really is. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that um, it is black and white. Thank you that it speaks to the honest reality of life. And the question is whether or not we'll have the maturity to receive it or not. Lord, I pray this morning, there are Christians in this place. They have been asleep They have been completely lost their focus in terms of what they should be living for. And I pray this morning that your spirit has said, Wake up and number your days. You have been given this life. Don't waste it. There are others in this room in light of the reality of your righteous anger towards sin need to experience the kindness and love that comes in Jesus Christ. For it is the kindness of God that leads them to repentance. This morning, would they repent and turn to you that you would be their dwelling place? Lord, you've exposed us to reality. Help us respond in truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.